All right, everybody. It is Election Day, Tuesday, November 8th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. This is the place where we bring you just the facts from verified sources and a breakdown of what matters in the news. I try to read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. All right, we have a lot to get to today as you make your voices heard. If you haven't already early voted, I hope you will get out there today. You have plans to vote for your local, for your state, for your federal leaders. I will break down today expectations for the U.S. House and Senate as all of us get to decide who will lead us for the next few years. Beyond politics, I'll tell you about a rare November hurricane that is currently making its way towards the east coast of Florida. The TSA has a new discount they're offering for now to help you avoid taking off your shoes the next time you fly. Google has announced a new way for you to track your package easily on your Gmail account. And I'll tell you who the Oscars are bringing back as the host to try to get the ratings back up for that award show. But let's start here with the big midterm elections. Tens of millions of Americans are set to vote today in the elections that will determine the future of Congress, as well as a number of state and local leaders where you live. There are big decisions at stake here. The entire U.S. House is up for election. They're on two-year terms. Uh, About two-thirds of you will be voting for governors. They are typically on four-year terms. And then in 35 states, you'll be deciding on at least one U.S. Senate seat. They serve six-year terms. In addition to that, there's an assortment of state and local officials, judges, uh, ballot measures that you'll be voting on. So far, 41 million Americans have already cast early ballots. At least another 80 million or so are expected to vote today if we follow past models, though that remains to be seen as we've already seen a record number of early votes. So everyone get out there and let's break some records here. Based on the latest numbers, it appears that this year's campaigns will also be the most expensive for federal and state elections in a non-presidential election year. Spending has already surpassed $16.7 billion. Uh, I'll have more on who's spending that in a moment. But it is pretty remarkable, uh, this sort of no holds bar spending that's going on. I've heard from many of you on the uh, numerous things you're getting in your mailboxes, as well as the ads that have been back to back. So uh, the one good thing about this election being over as of tomorrow you will be free from those commercials for at least a little bit. Polls suggest right now that Republicans are favored to win a majority in the U.S. House. Right now, they only need five seats to take the majority. Projections right now range from a slim majority to a couple dozen pickups, though there is less than a 20% chance, according to most projections, the Democrats will somehow be able to pull off a a historic uh, upset and keep control of the House. Meanwhile, the U.S. Senate remains a complete toss-up. Right now, it's a 50-50 tie between Democrats and Republicans. Right now, Vice President Kamala Harris is the tiebreaker, which has meant that President Biden has had a majority, uh, been able to pass through things in the U.S. Senate over the course of the past two years. Right now, there are about seven or eight Senate seats we're looking at very closely that could determine who has the majority for the next couple years of the Biden administration. Some Republicans think they could pick up a couple seats to take the majority, but many states are just too close to call. Right now, polling is all over the place within the margin of error. And some Democrats actually feel uh, lifted by some of the early voting numbers they've seen in several of the key swing states. Some key Senate races you should be looking at early to determine who might be able to gain the majority here are in New Hampshire, Pennsylvania, Georgia, North Carolina, and then heading west. We'll be looking at races in Ohio and Wisconsin, and then out uh, far west in Nevada and Arizona to really give us a sense of which party will control the U.S. Senate. 
Keep in mind that we may not know the results in some states for days. Some states like Pennsylvania have rules that no counting of any ballots can start until all voting is done Tuesday night, even early ballots, while states like Florida count much quicker. Nevada, you might remember those memes from 2020. They take a while. California and New York are also notoriously slow counters. Arizona is also known to take a while, especially with the close results where literally it could just be a few hundred or a few thousand votes that could determine the victor. Uh, On top of that, we'll have recounts, uh, lawsuits, questions over ballots. So get ready, everybody. Uh, It could be a while before we really know the fate, especially when it comes to key Senate and governor's races. President Biden held a final evening rally in Maryland Monday night, where Democrats have one of their best opportunities to actually reclaim a Republican-held governor's seat. This has been consistent with Biden's strategy. He's mainly been sticking the deep blue states, uh, Democratic strongholds, rather than going into more competitive territory, where in some cases he's not really invited, given his lack of popularity. Uh, And so he's been really focused on places like Illinois, California, New York, Maryland, historically blue states where uh, he can kind of churn out the base. Biden on Monday warned of extremism that he says is common among Republicans. He told uh, supporters Monday night, quote, we're up against some of the darkest forces we've ever seen in our history. These MAGA Republicans are a different breed of cat. Former President Trump was also on the campaign trail in Ohio, uh, holding a rally for Senate candidate J.D. Vance on Monday night. Uh, The Republicans and Trump have been saying that Democrats are to blame for inflation, for crime, for the direction of the country. And so uh, that has been their main theme right now. History suggests that any party in power typically suffers significant losses in the midterms. If Biden loses the House or Senate, he will be in the same company as three out of the last four presidents. Uh, That includes Trump, Obama, and Clinton, who all lost their majorities in their first midterm elections. It appears, at least in most recent American history, that we tend to give our presidents uh, two years to do something, and then if we're frustrated, we uh, immediately punish them with our congressional vote. Tuesday's outcomes will have a powerful impact on the final two years of the Biden first term. It'll shape policy on everything from government spending to military support for Ukraine. If Republicans can take the House, some have actually promised to start impeachment proceedings against Biden, as well as launch a slew of investigations into uh, his son, Hunter Biden, the uh, pullout from Afghanistan, and a whole variety of issues. If Republicans can take a majority of the Senate, they could block or alter a number of his judicial nominees, including uh, potential Supreme Court appointments in the next two years, uh, if he needs to uh, appoint any, as well as any cabinet appointments. So that is where uh, Senate control uh, remains important for him as well. I shared a couple of websites on my Instagram feed on Monday, and I'll share them with you here today. This will uh, allow you to research your candidates and any ballot measures ahead of voting. Here are a few websites to turn to, vote411.org, usafacts.org, and vote.org. Again, those websites are vote411.org, usafacts.org, or vote.org. All those sites will give you a sense of uh, what might be on your local ballot based on your address, as well as especially USA Facts and Vote 411 will let you uh, research candidate positions. One more thing I want to tell all of you as you watch results tonight, and of course, uh, please follow my Instagram feed. I'll be going live and providing coverage, is that beware of fast analysis or quick takes you see tonight. People are going to try to tell you very quickly what's happening, what the trend lines are, even though it might take days or weeks to really understand the results and get a sense of trend lines. Uh, Keep in mind that every race is different. What you might be seeing in, say, the LA mayor's race versus the New York governor's race versus the Senate race in Georgia, they all have 
have uh, different issues at hand. So people are going to try to draw larger themes. And eventually we will come around to themes, but be very wary of, you know, initial exit polls. Uh, these are polls conducted of voters who show up at the ballot box. They don't account in many cases for early voters. So anyway, just beware and be skeptical as you uh, watch the results tonight, as we really try to get a sense of how America voted and why they voted that way. All right, I mentioned money earlier. How much money has been poured into this election? According to the latest numbers, billionaires alone have poured more money than ever into these midterms. The biggest spenders are helping Republicans actually get a boost in a few races. Democrats thought they had a lock on. Here are the numbers. American billionaires, as of late October, we will get the final numbers after Election Day, have funneled $880 million into elections as of last week. That accounts for just under 8% of all money raised by federal candidates and political parties, as well as PACs. These are numbers we're getting from Americans for Tax Fairness, which analyzed data compiled by the campaign finance watchdog Open Secrets, which is a nonpartisan group that looks at numbers. Big billionaire donor number one is George Soros. He's a huge Democratic uh, donor. So far, as of late October, he has given $128 million to Democrats. But when you look at the rest of the top 25, most of the overall spending has come from Republican billionaires. 18 of the top 25 largest donors for the upcoming elections have backed GOP candidates, and those Republicans, those 18, have outspent Democrats by $200 million. The cash infusion has given Republicans hope in some uh, key races, including the governor's races in New York and Oregon. In New York, through more than $11 million in donations, Ronald Lauder, uh, the uh, cosmetics heir of the Estee Lauder fortune, has nearly single-handedly helped Republican Lee Zeldin narrow the race against New York Governor Kathy Hochul. That's going to be a very close race to watch. Over in Oregon, the co-founder of Nike, Phil Knight, has supported an independent gubernatorial candidate that uh, could mean that Oregon might elect its first non-Democrat governor in 40 years. Here's one final stat before we move on here. The top 1% of donors account for nearly 40% of the total amount spent on federal candidates. Pretty remarkable uh, numbers here. And there's uh, no sign of this letting up anytime soon as we enter a presidential cycle in 2024 where people effectively are given unlimited amounts to be able to donate. This all goes back to a 2010 Supreme Court decision uh, that basically said that donating money equals free speech, money equals speech. And so you can give unlimited sums. A reminder to stay tuned to my Instagram feed all day at Moshe at M-O-S-H-E-H for ongoing midterms coverage all day and all night. Okay, let's leave politics here and head to Florida, where they will be seeing a rare November hurricane over the next two days. Subtropical Storm Nicole is looking to strengthen and make landfall over the course of the next 48 hours. It could batter Florida's east coast as a number of residents in the state are still recovering from Hurricane Ian. Nicole is forecast to keep on strengthening and is expected to potentially be a Category 1 when it approaches Florida's east coast late Wednesday into Thursday morning. According to the National Hurricane Center, a hurricane watch is now in effect along the east coast of Florida. The watch extends from just north of Miami to the Space Coast and includes Fort Lauderdale, West Palm Beach, Cape Canaveral, and Melbourne. Warmer than normal ocean waters in the region have allowed for strengthening. The last time we saw a hurricane strike the U.S. in November was Hurricane Kate back in 1985. Hurricane Center officials warned Floridians that heavy rain and damaging winds could pummel the state over the course of the next few days. 
Okay, I want to take a quick break here from the news. We have a lot more coming up, but I want to thank our sponsor this week, Athletic Greens. They are back as a sponsor this week. I started taking their AG1 supplement a couple months ago, and I'm very excited to share my experience with you. As many of you know, trying to get all your vitamins in can be hard to keep track of and can get pricey. I was actually previously taking various vitamins with breakfast, with lunch, with dinner. I've been taking the AG1 supplement for a couple months now, and I found nothing simpler. It's just one scoop in a glass of water in the morning, and that's it. It's simple and affordable. The AG1 powder contains 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals. In addition, AG1 has pre and probiotics to support your gut health. All this combines to help you build a strong immune system, especially as we head into cold and flu season. It's really your nutritional insurance policy. And here's the extra good news. Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of vitamin D, as well as five free travel packs of AG1 with your first purchase. So visit athleticgreens.com backslash Mo News to learn more about all that AG1 can do for your health. Take advantage of this special offer. You can actually get a discounted monthly subscription or try it just one time to see how you like it. Again, that is athleticgreens.com backslash Mo News, M-O-N-E-W-S to take advantage of this special deal. Okay, let's go abroad to Egypt now, where world leaders are gathered to wrestle the crisis of climate change. This climate summit, the 27th, what's called COP27, comes as economic woes, including the Russian war in Ukraine, have already set back some of the small steps countries have taken to step away from fossil fuels as uh, countries have dealt with economic woes. They were going back to things like coal power. The UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, uh, actually had this warning on Monday. He said, quote, we're on a highway to climate hell with our foot on the accelerator. I should note, by the way, that Guterres uh, is known for quotes like this. That said, he is trying to scare the hell out of nearly 100 princes, presidents, and prime ministers uh, who are all gathered in Cairo for this uh, 27th session of the Conference of the Parties to the UN Climate Convention. Again, that is a very long name for an org called COP27. That's the latest summit. Notably, among the people who are not at the summit, Xi Jinping, the leader of China, he's very much focused on his country's economy. Uh, so China has not been paying as much attention, even though they are a major contributor to pollution worldwide. Here's one other notable figure that caught my attention. Of the 110 national leaders who appear at the summit on Monday, only seven are women. One of the biggest fault lines at these talks is the contentious issue of who pays for all the climate damage that has wreaked havoc on countries who have done very little to cause global warming. If you see a lot of the impact on countries like Bangladesh, uh, Pakistan, some islands out in the South Pacific that have done very little but are already seeing the impact of climate change. There are several blocks of developing countries that have been pushing for payment from rich industrialized countries like the US, like Europe, that have been uh, effectively polluting for the better part of 150 years, saying they should be liable for the the damage in the trillions of dollars to the countries that have only started developing now. President Biden's climate envoy, John Kerry, is representing the U.S. at these talks. You might remember Kerry, former senator, former presidential candidate. He is hoping to unveil a carbon credit program this week. It's the American plan to help major businesses help developing nations and their efforts to decarbonize. Poorer countries could earn carbon credits by moving from fossil fuels to renewables and then sell those credits to companies that want to offset their own carbon emissions. It is effectively a large trading scheme but does allow uh, companies uh, to help countries through this sort of a long path. 
The situation is urgent, and that was underlined by the World Meteorological Organization, which announced that the last eight years have been the warmest on record in human history. The average global temperature has already risen about 1.1 degrees Celsius compared to pre-industrial levels. Keep in mind that the threshold that climate experts have set is 1.5 degrees Celsius. When it goes beyond that, we are significantly at risk for a climate catastrophe. But there is some good news. I always want to leave you with some good news. The 2015 Paris Agreement that... Uh, most of the world follows. Uh, the U.S. Uh, during the Trump White House pulled out of it, uh, but Biden is trying to abide by it to a certain extent right now. That agreement back in 2015 has slowed down global temperature rise a bit, just not at the pace and scale that we quite need yet. Before that Paris Agreement was signed in 2015 and before countries began to implement things, the average global temperature was set to rise yet another three degrees, so four degrees overall by the end of this century. Based on that agreement, though, we are now set to rise between 2.1 and 2.9 degrees Celsius overall. So again, keeping score here, before the agreement, we were going to rise four degrees. Now, because of the agreement and because some of the measures countries have taken, we are only going to rise between 2.1 and 2.9. Nine degrees Celsius. The issue is we're already at 1.1 and passing 1.5 is an issue. So again, as I noted, the UN Secretary General, a number of these leaders, they feel this situation is urgent. They don't want to pass that 1.5 degree threshold. Something to keep in mind, by the way, as we talk about 1.5 degrees, it might not seem like a lot, but think about it like a fever when you immediately you know, get above 98.6 and you hit 100 degrees. Well, that's only about one and a half degrees, folks, but that's a fever, right? Your body starts to shut down, uh, starts to have issues dealing with things. You need to rest. Um, it throws your systems out of whack. And so think about global climate in the same way. It just takes a couple degree fever on Earth for things to be completely thrown out of whack. One other headline that came out of the summit on Monday, uh, there was an announcement that the world's most famous and most visited glaciers, many of them are expected to now disappear within 25 years by the year 2050. That will include glaciers in Yosemite, Yellowstone, the last remaining ones in Africa at Kilimanjaro National Park uh, and on Mount Kenya, and a number of those in Europe, including in the Pyrenees and Italy's Dolomites. So again, we're already seeing the impact at just over a degree Celsius from pre-industrial times. All right, we got an interesting headline out of China on Monday. Chinese leaders are considering steps towards reopening after nearly three years of some of the toughest pandemic restrictions in the world. Now, they haven't set a timeline here, but Chinese officials have grown concerned that their uh, zero tolerance, their COVID zero strategy, has really uh, hurt their economy too much. It has resulted in lockdowns of cities. I've told you about this, where entire cities of 10 or 20 million people, they have huge cities in China, are locked down over just a couple dozen cases. It Means that people literally can't leave their home even for food. People with a positive cases are uh, taken away from their children, put in COVID camps. And so this has been going on for about three years now. So it's notable now that China is proceeding cautiously towards potentially reopening things. It could take China, according to the Wall Street Journal, as much as a year or longer to return to pre-pandemic levels of activity. The government wants to continue to monitor new variants, etc. But it is interesting, the sort of admission from the Chinese that they do need to move beyond zero COVID. One key thing China needs to get in order is their elderly vaccination rate. China, interestingly, unlike the rest of the world, prioritized vaccinating the young last year as opposed to the old. So they haven't brought their elderly vaccination rate to the number they're looking for. That's something that they will be working on over the next six months as they try to actually reopen things finally in that country. All right, back here at home, if you're planning to fly for Thanksgiving, or uh, Christmas, keep in mind that there is a discount right now by the TSA. They're trying to lower their fees 
to allow you to enroll in TSA PreCheck. Right now, the program is $85. They're lowering uh, the fee to $78. If you're not already TSA PreCheck, uh, I am, and I will uh, be a big advocate for it. By the way, the TSA is not paying me for this announcement, but I have found it to be very helpful, especially as somebody who likes to get to the airport at the last second. The TSA says that in September, their numbers show that 93% of its PreCheck passengers spent less than five minutes at a security checkpoint. Enrolling in TSA PreCheck, which lasts for five years, involves one in-person appointment before passengers receive an ID number that they can then use when you're booking flights. The online renewal cost, by the way, is still $70. But again, you're still getting a discount right now if you're not already TSA PreCheck, about 10% off. Here's a headline from the world of tech that will be helpful to many of us as we're buying our holiday gifts over the course of the next two months. Google announced on Monday that Gmail will allow users to soon be able to track their upcoming package deliveries directly from their inbox. The feature works by looking for emails that include tracking numbers, then using that information to determine the order's expected delivery date and flagging that right for you on your inbox homepage. That means when you're scanning through your email list in Gmail, you won't have to click on your order confirmation emails to see when your package is due. It'll be right there on the main screen next to the email sender's name and subject line in a small green label. You'll notice a little truck icon followed by text that indicates the order status and the expected delivery date. I think I'm probably gonna be seeing a couple dozen of those over the course of the next few weeks. But again, it is a handy little update. I'm told by some of you, who have Yahoo email addresses, I haven't had one of those in a while, that they've actually had that over there for several years. But thankfully, Gmail is getting with the times, and it won't come soon enough. As of today, uh, everyone should know you have 47 days till Christmas. And finally, we'll end here with a bit of entertainment news. Jimmy Kimmel, the late night show host, will be back as the host of next year's Oscars next March. It'll mark his third time fronting the ceremony. He previously was the host back in 2017 and 2018. In a statement, Kimmel joked that being invited to host the Oscars for a third time is either a great honor or a trap. Either way, I'm grateful to the Academy for asking me so quickly after everyone good said no. There are rumors out there that Chris Rock was actually asked to be host, among others, and that Chris Rock declined. Obviously, the Oscars was looking for some buzz after that slap heard around the world last year. It would have been interesting to see Rock host after uh, being slapped by Will Smith last year, but uh, it appears he said no, and so we will have Jimmy Kimmel. Last year, you might remember Amy Schumer, Wanda Sykes, and Regina Hall. Uh, the three of them together hosted last year's ceremony. It averaged just over 16 million viewers, which was a rebound from the 2020 Oscars, but it still was one of the lowest rated Academy Awards ever. We'll see what Kimmel's third Oscars will bring. Uh, I imagine a lot of jokes about Chris Rock and Will Smith. Interestingly, Will is banned from the ceremony, but could be nominated uh, for a new film he has out this winter. All right, I want to thank all of you for listening to this Mo News Daily Podcast on this election day. Again, a reminder to get out and vote. There are actually a nearly 20 states where you can register same day and vote today. So don't let that block you in a number of states. We will keep track of coverage all day on my Instagram over at at Moshe at M-O-S-H-E-H. We'll have more coverage for you on this podcast tomorrow. Please subscribe or follow the show on whatever app you're listening to us on to make sure you don't miss a single episode. We'll be breaking things down all week on uh, what happened 
why people voted the way they did and what it means for the next few years. A reminder also to review this show in the app store. It'll just take a quick moment. It helps us continue to grow this podcast. Beyond that, there's an easy way to get Mo News into your inbox. We have the Mo News newsletter. You can head over to monews.bolton.com to subscribe over there. We have some exciting news coming up soon in regards to the newsletter. We'll be making a transition. I'll have more on that at the end of the week. I'll see everyone on Instagram all day and back here on this podcast tomorrow.